Welcome to Capital Cast. I'm Jennifer Fuller. A wide-ranging criminal justice reform known as the Illinois Pre-Trial Fairness Act goes into effect this month, as the cash bail system will be eliminated statewide starting September 18th. Capital News Illinois' Jerry Nowicki talks with Kara Smith, a retired judge who now heads the Illinois Supreme Court's Office of Statewide Pretrial Services, or OSPS. Generally speaking, it seems to me as someone who's been following Safety Act, Pretrial Fairness Act from the beginning, that your office is playing an enormous role but isn't really discussed in the media reports. So with that said, I'd like to just sort of get your uh, rundown of what it is that your office is doing. Sure. So on July 1st, 1987, Illinois' Pretrial Services Act took effect. It was championed by then State Representative John Cullerton, and the, the, the floor debate regarding the bill is really interesting because it his arguments in favor of passage was that having a pretrial services agency would keep people out of custody that didn't need to be there from a public safety standpoint and would um, support defendants when they were released pretrial. So all these years later, um, we are in many ways sort of fulfilling the goals of that legislation that passed in 1987. Our role I think has increased in importance given the big changes that we're going to be encountering on September 18th and forward. Um, so we we are in uh, we are active and live in 70 counties, Jerry. We uh, will also assume responsibility for Will County, which will be our 71st county um, uh, around October 1st. And what we do day to day is we identify newly lodged defendants in all of our across all of our counties. We prepare verified criminal histories for each of them. We provide those criminal histories to our pretrial services officers in the field. Um, and they incorporate that into a report that includes an interview with the defendant. And that's provided to the judge, state, and defense prior to the first appearance. So we're providing um, neutral, uh, verified, and there are, there are instances where we can't reach someone to verify it, but our attempts are always to verify the information that the defendant has provided. So the court has before him or her sort of a neutral picture of the individual that is before them for that court case. Um, after that, if a defendant is ordered to pretrial supervision, we will supervise any conditions that are imposed. That may be random drug testing, that may be um, uh, to seek um, uh, uh, substance use or behavioral health treatment. So we help the defendants find uh, treatment services if that's what they wish to do. Um, and we are, just this past Sunday, we enrolled our first defendant onto our electronic monitoring program which is the newest uh, and a very significant expansion of our services. In a follow-up email, Smith's office noted those reports take about an hour to prepare. She and Nowicki went on to discuss the office's electronic monitoring efforts. That's a conversation we'll explore next week in Capital Cast. But for now, we jump ahead to the discussion of the legislature's history when it comes to pushing for statewide pretrial services. 
Of note, the effort only became possible when lawmakers allocated $26 million to the OSPS last fiscal year and $23 million for the current year. You had touched on it from the beginning, but this is the the your office is is a state agency and it's something that the General Assembly basically said they wanted to exist everywhere in 1987. And it took whatever it is, 40 years almost to, and the PFA to get something like this going. So I, I guess if you're existing um, in your most efficient and effective form, what does it mean for the criminal justice system in terms of pretrial detention and just the number of uh, the, the amount of time spent in court for these individuals? Let me start with just speaking to the 1987 law. It required, and, and the Supreme Court through the AOIC had appropriations, and it would reimburse the cost of the salaries of pretrial services officers. But for primarily, I think that the counties or the circuits that w- didn't have existing pretrial services agencies, it wasn't for lack of wanting them, it was resources. So as the after the PFA was passed or the Safety Act was passed, the court on a recommendation from the Supreme Court Pretrial Commission, which recommended that the the state adopt an operational structure for pretrial services delivery and and elected to have a statewide model. So when I came into this position in September of 2021, we wanted to prioritize. We want our goal was to have everything stood up by January 1st, which was the intended or the initial effective date. So we worked with chief circuit court judges and said, which of the counties in your circuit would you like us to prioritize in sort of what our what we were calling at that time our phase one counties? And we started with 52 and then eventually grew to the 71 we have today. I think that that our agency is going to be a continue to be a great resource after September 18th. We have trained uh, wonderful pretrial services officers that are housed at the county level and who are, you know, sort of embedded in the county operation, though they're a state employee. And like I mentioned at the beginning, they're preparing their bond reports. And I know when when I was on the bench doing arraignments, I was in juvenile court in Cook County, you know, you would have the the state make its pitch for how dangerous a person might be. You'd have the defense make its pitch about how this person's a straight A student and they're on the football team or whatever. And you didn't have sort of that neutral presentation of here is here's what we know about this individual, including a detailed criminal history, if it exists, and, and information about are they employed? Are they in school? What's the home situation like? So I think that information will continue to grow in importance as we adjust to life after September 18th. We've completed over 18,000 pretrial investigations since approximately August 1st of last year. And we currently have about 2,600 individuals on our supervision caseload. So individuals who've been ordered to pretrial supervision with conditions that we need to uh, monitor. Uh, We also provide text message alerts to, to defendants to remind them of court dates. So not unlike what we get when we have a haircut or a dentist appointment or something, we get those, those alerts go to our clients and we uh, work also to help ensure their success during the pretrial period. So I, I think we're going to continue to be an important part of 
the system after September 18th and you know, very, with fingers crossed, very pleased with how we've grown and established this agency in a very relatively short period of time. One of the core tenets of the Pretrial Fairness Act was to offer defendants the services they need to avoid future justice system entanglements while also ensuring they appear in court through the least restrictive means necessary. Smith touched on what her office can do to limit recidivism. I guess you've touched on it a bit, but maybe dig into the reoffense part, um, how you kind of head that off. Well, I, I think that's the that's the that's the million dollar question, and and we do what we can to assess also the needs a defendant might have. Uh, we have a support services staff who look to identify resources that might help a person succeed. But you know, we we will have, and there always have been pretrial failures where someone, you know, uh, either for for whatever reason continues to engage in criminal activity. Um, but uh, I think that's that's has always been part of the system, and I don't know that that's going to change. I think the idea under the PFA is that we'll be better able to identify people whose dangerousness is such that they should be detained pre-trial, and everyone else is out. Um, Professor Dave Olson at Loyola analyzed criminal charges from 2017 through 2022, and his estimate was that approximately 18% of those charges were for detainable offenses, offenses that will be detainable under the PFA, and the remainder are were, were not charged with detainable offense. So it'll be interesting and exciting to see sort of how things look after um, September 18th and how our caseloads might change, but it's an exciting time for, for our agency and for the state. That was one of the things I was going to get into was uh, PFA, as I understand it, was designed to kind of divert low-level offenders from the uh, types of hearings where their freedom is being uh, uh, questioned so that you could give more time to uh, the the more the questions of freedom in, in the serious cases. That's kind of leading into the question of how important, and we've already touched on it a bit, but you really can't do that without a robust pretrial service system. Is, is that a correct reading? Yes. And so the, to, to boil it all down, the PSA encourages what we call site and releases. So avoid people coming into to jail in the first instance. Cite them, give them a ticket on the street with a court date at some point in the future. For people that are brought into custody, there will be some that the state may seek to detain, and then everyone, th those other individuals, that there will be a conditions hearing. What, if any, pretrial conditions do we think we need to impose on that person? And I, I think our agency is going to provide, you know, it's going to be an additional resource for the court and for the defendants to make sure that if a court wants to impose conditions, there's going to be someone there that can hold the defendant accountable and report back to the court on violations. When we're talking conditions, what do those look like? You know, it could be drug treatment. It could be behavioral health treatment. It could be electronic monitoring. You know, we had, we had an order recently directing a defendant to stay off social media, you know, anger management, um, you know, whatever the court believes is necessary to ensure that the defendant continues to come back to court and doesn't commit any new offenses. 
Okay, I'll, I'll give you a chance to touch on anything that I've missed, but I also wanted to sort of talk about the logistics of things. We're talking about um, difficulty hiring everywhere. Everybody's having a difficulty finding people. So can you just say a little bit about the uh, human power needed to set this up and the yeah. two-year time frame? So we had, um, I can't remember, was it 11 or 12 employees on June 30th of 2022, and today we have 165. Remarkably, and it was a concern of mine in the beginning, but we remarkably have had great success building a really incredible team of um, individuals to, to run this agency and to be part of it. So we have um, county-based pretrial services officers, Counties have at least one, and our larger counties have more than one. So Champaign and Vermilion, LaSalle, St. Clair, those counties have more um, than one officer. We then have field supervisors that are strategically assigned to cover a handful of counties, and they review the bond reports. They run interference on various issues that are happening at the county level. And then we have uh, chiefs that, that oversee large geographic areas that we've broken the state up into. And then we have our headquarters where our um, investigations team and electronic monitoring unit are, and then support staff that keep all of the various trains running. In addition, we've, we've entered into leases for office space in a majority of our counties. Um, that in of itself was a interesting body of work to be identifying places for staff to, to work from. Um, some of it's county-based. Uh, we, we strived for county-based space. In, in some instances, we had to use commercial space. But, you know, it's uh, it, you know, a wonderful thing to be part of building. Um, and, and again, uh, with, without any sort of roadmap for how to do it. I don't know the last time in Illinois we've had a brand new agency pop up that without sort of a how-to guide to come along with it. But, but we've I'm, I'm very, very proud of the of what we've been able to assemble thus far. Right. So do you have an office in every county, did you say, or was it just maybe some of them? We, ha we, we have, uh, yes, we have in some, in some when, it, when we say office, sometimes it's an office inside the jail or the courthouse. In other instances, it's a, it's a commercial space. So I, I can, I will find out how many leases we have, but we have space for our staff to work in all the counties and then our headquarters in Springfield. Smith's office noted in a follow-up email that it had secured leases in 47 counties. And as of last week, the employee headcount had exceeded 170. I've tried to take a top-down view, but is there anything important to put out there that I've missed? You know, we're, we're our, our North Star every day is to serve the court, the, the circuit courts that we serve, whatever you know, and to be an asset and a resource to them. So it's, it's that, that's my goal every morning is to make sure that we're, we're, we're doing what the court wants and we're where the court wants us and, and able to support whatever conditions they feel are necessary for defendants. So it's, it's an honor to, to have built this so far and to be looking forward to continuing to serve after the PFA goes into effect. That's Office of Statewide Pretrial Services Director Kara Smith, who talked with CNI's Jerry Nowicki about the provisions of the Illinois Pretrial Fairness Act, which go into effect September 18th. Next week, a look at the parts of the act that involve electronic monitoring of people awaiting trial. 
From all of us at Capital News Illinois, I'm Jennifer Fuller.